Welcome to College Football Live. I am Peter Burns, joined alongside Greg McElroy, Sam Acho. Let's not waste any time, boys, and get right into it because today up in Ann Arbor, well, Jim Harbaugh addressed the media for the first time in fall camp, weather probably a little warmer than he is in that picture. Uh, a lot of questions were about the AP poll's second-ranked team in the country, but also some questions about the latest in his NCAA investigation that he's involved in and whether or not he will or will not be suspended. Uh, here's what Coach Jim Harbaugh had to say in camp. Can you respond to that or where the NCAA situation stands? No. No, I can't comment on I would say that it's a it's a mission, right? I mean, uh, I mean, some people, some people go to their job, and it's a job. Um, you know, for us, it's it's a mission, and um, I even coined it last year. It's a happy mission. That's that's the the vibrant way it hit my brain. You know, then and I, I think that's what we're on. We're chasing, we're chasing perfection. Wow, big uh, words there, right? Chasing perfection. Haven't heard that out of the Michigan Wolverines in a while. Sam, is it fair to say at least right here, right now, that Michigan has surpassed Ohio State as the top-tier team of the Big Ten? Yeah, it's absolutely fair to say that Michigan has surpassed Ohio State as a top team in the Big Ten. You could tell that by one of the drills that Michigan not necessarily has implemented, but they've changed. They have this nine-on-seven drill, right? A drill where it's like run, offense versus defense. They used to call it the Beat Ohio drill, referring to Ohio State. Well, the last two years, they have Beat Ohio. Now they change it to the Beat Georgia drill. This team, this Michigan team, has won 25 games over the last two seasons, and they're itching, scratching, begging for more. They understand what it's like to lose in the semifinals back-to-back years. I understand what it's like to be on the precipice of greatness, but not allowing yourself to get to greatness yet. And so they've changed the way they practice. They've changed. They've brought back star power, Blake Horam and J.J. McCarthy, a dominant defense. And now all of a sudden you have a team that wants to go and beat the best. And so I think they have surpassed Ohio State based off of the last two years of history, based off what they're chasing now. Well, Acho, they, they have the recipe. I mean, it's the sum is greater than each individual collective part. And that right now is, I think, the way that you attack Ohio State. Now, if you want to look at weapons on the perimeter, you want to look at skill, you want to look at NFL draft picks, the last couple of years, Ohio State has had the advantage. But as far as the intensity at the line of scrimmage, Michigan has lapped the field in that regard. And now, when you look at the quarterback situation of both programs, We know that we put a lot on the Ohio State quarterback position, whether it's Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins, what we saw the last couple years from C.J. Stroud. Now, for the first time in a long time, you actually make a strong argument that Michigan has the advantage at the quarterback spot, at least as of right now. J.J. McCarthy last year, he was rolling with Cade McNamara. They were repping both with the ones and the twos. So he went through the entire offseason having to split reps. Now, entering into year number three in Ann Arbor, He has had every single starter rep dating back to the spring, and he's probably going to be a more developed player as a result. So his experience, his upside, his talent, and now the amount of chemistry that he's been able to create with his teammates should have him kind of leave the rest of the pack in the Big Ten a little bit in the dust. Yeah, it's interesting. What, 322 passes, only five interceptions, so he's taking care of the ball pretty well. And they said he wanted to use his uh, legs a little bit more. Remember, he had, what, 70 rushes for five touchdowns last year. Could be dangerous and could be talking about perfection there in Ann Arbor. All right, obviously they're highly ranked in the polls. Let's take a look at it right now. AP released its preseason top 25 over on Monday. Georgia, no shock that they're number one for the first time since 2008. 
Michigan, Ohio State, Bama, and LSU routed out the top five. LSU's opponent in week one, Florida State, cracked the preseason top ten for the first time since 2017. Greg, when you saw this, I know you and Cole were talking about it on your show in Birmingham. What was the biggest takeaways as far as the top ten? I was okay with the top ten for the most part. Maybe the biggest takeaway that I had was the fact that Florida State was ahead of Clemson. I mean, for a long time now, dating all the way back to it seems like 2014, Clemson has essentially controlled that league, and now the AP voters, they referenced a little bit of a changing of the guard as Florida State surpassed them. Of course, we'll find out in week number four when Florida State travels to Death Valley. The other is that if you look at the top seven, the top seven teams in America, the national champion has come from the top seven in the AP preseason poll almost every year. The two examples in which they didn't come from the top seven were in 2010 when Auburn rode a very hot Cam Newton to a national championship, and then in 2013 where Florida State rode a very hot Jameis Winston to a national championship. So you're probably going to find your national champion in the top seven, but if you're not in the top seven, you better have a game-changing quarterback, Acho, to be able to make that charge like Auburn did and like Florida State did. Yeah, and to your point, I wasn't too upset with the top 10. I, what I look at, I look at the high expectations. Teams like LSU and Florida State. You talk about Florida State being raked so high in this AP poll. Obviously, you look at the quarterback and Jordan Travis and how excellent he was towards the end of last season, then fast, really all of last season. Then fast forward, he's on that Heisman conversation. I look at their defense as well. Uh, Jared Verse is a transferred last year, dominant force on the edge. And then LSU defensively, Harold Perkins, right? These are two dominant players that you want to watch. But to your point to the Clemson and Florida State, that to your point, Greg, is a bit surprising because Clemson has had so much success under Dabo Sweeney over the last decade plus winning 10 games over and over and over again, two national championships. And so uh, I was a little bit not necessarily surprised by that because people are high on Florida State, but there are high expectations. Sam, real quick, what do you think about the parity as well, too? I look at the top 20, four SEC squads, four Big Ten squads, four Big 12 squads, and four Pac-12 teams. That, that's pretty good for, you know, right at the beginning of the season. It is. And then you go, go into the Pac-12, I mean, so many of those teams, I think four of the top six scoring offenses, so four of the top six scoring offenses came out of the Pac-12. And so with all this conference realignment we're talking about and all this, I was like, there are going to be some really good teams. Oregon, USC, UCLA was one of those scoring offenses. There are so many competitive teams in the Pac-12. Fast forward, the Big 12, all these teams, like there's been three different Big 12 champions over the last three seasons. And so the parity is absolutely there in college football. It's one of the things that we love. The issue is who's going to be there at the end is, is it the same teams that are starting or is it going to be different teams like a TCU last year that's going to be one of those final four it feels like the top four it's almost like a foregone conclusion they're going to be in the playoff it's not going to happen I actually yeah. think this year especially when you look at the big 12 you look at the Pac-12 you look at what Penn State might do in the big 10 you look at what Wisconsin they're in the top 20 what they could do in the big 10 you look at what you see in the SEC maybe LSU arrives maybe A&M finally gets back to doing what they could do, couldn't do last year. There could be a year, guys, in which we think it's going to be real predictable, and then next thing you know, there's mad chaos. I think that's a realistic possibility. Look at some of the question marks, some of the teams at the top. Wild idea. We should uh, expand the college football playoff, maybe to 12 teams. Some might say that uh, could happen down, in, uh, down the road. All right, Sam, let's go here. When you looked at the top 25, the biggest snub was who? 
Texas Tech. You, you talk about the parity, four teams in the Big 12. It should have been five, at least in that top that top 25. Texas Tech had a, a, a myriad, a number of votes. They were one of the top vote getters that was in the top 25. But Joy McGuire won eight games last year. Joy McGuire finished the season with a four-game winning streak. This Texas Tech football team, that's their head coach. They also beat Texas. They beat Oklahoma. They beat Ole Miss in the bowl game, which is ranked higher than them. And so there's not a lot of hype per se, at least national media-wise in the Big 12 with Texas Tech, but they've done a great job of winning. Yeah, I'm going to go to Kentucky, and what I think is going to be the Big Blue Walls return. That's their offensive line. Last year, they were the Big Blue turnstile, really struggled up front. Part of that was play calling. Part of that was offensive coordinator. Well, returns to the Cats is Liam Cohen, the offensive coordinator from a couple years ago. He's got Devin Leary coming over from NC State. They have the weapons, they have the running back, and they have the identity to create a lot of problems in the SEC. Shocker, I'm going to stay in the SEC and go with the Arkansas Razorbacks, right? As long as you got KJ Jefferson as QB1 and Rocket Sanders, guys, this is as dynamic of a duo as you're going to find in all of college football. They're going to play Western Carolina, Kent State, and BYU. Good chance that they're going to be 3-0 and before facing LSU to start their SEC record. I think they'll end up being a top 25 team at some point. We'll see if they have that longevity going forward. All right, we got a lot more coming up on College Football Live, including ESPN has launched their top 100 players for 2023. And did it give us a little glimpse into a window? Of good, could be the wildest Heisman race in over a decade. And the Florida Gators going to be debuting some new unis this season. We'll hear from their new QB1, Graham Mertz. And how much pressure is Billy Napier under in year two in Gainesville? Getting closer, college football season kicks off Saturday, August 26th, 18th. Annual MEAC SWAC Challenge kickoff game. South Carolina State squaring off against Jackson State at Center Park Stadium in Atlanta. Celebration of HBCUs begins 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific on ABC for the first time. And, of course, always on the ESPN app. All right, quarterback battles going on across the country, but there's no longer one in Gainesville. Back on Friday, Billy Napier named former Wisconsin quarterback Graham Mertz as their starter. How about him wearing the uh, Tim Tebow number 15 jersey? Big shoes to fill. Earlier today, Graham Mertz spoke about uh, what it's going to take for him to be a consistent QB1 for Billy Napier's squad. I'd say the biggest thing is just consistency. It's kind of been my, my theme from when I got here. Um, just falling in love with the process of every single day. Um, I mean, if, if you just take that and you take your purpose, your purpose into everything you do every day, it makes it easy, makes it fun. Spring ball came, and then it was all day every day. Um, summer came, <laughs> kind of same thing as the winter. Uh, so for me, I mean, it, it just really goes down to just stacking those days. Like no matter what I had to do um, during that day, it all came back to what do I need to do for this team um, to get to where we want to go. So, yeah, it was every single day. He's already SEC ready with that haircut, um, going with the Bama bangs there to a certain extent. Mertz struggled a little bit against AP-ranked opponents for the Badgers, which not bode well for him. And Gainesville posted a QBR of 38 in those nine starts, by far the worst in FBS. Mertz tossed 12 picks against just five touchdowns in those games, also the worst in FBS. All right, though, GMAC, you've studied quarterback play. You know it. You've studied a little bit of Graham Mertz. You know, what do you make of him, and how much are you buying into him being – you know, the QB1 savior. Well, he's got a lot of ability. I mean, his 
talent level has never really been in question. I mean, dating back all the way to the time in which he was a high school senior, talking about a four-star, five-star, depending on what service you use, everybody regarded this guy as one of the top high school prospects in America, went to Wisconsin, and had the weight of expectations on his shoulders, and it just didn't work out very well. Too much pressure. People expected him to be the savior. That's not the case at Florida. The case of Florida is he just needs to do his job within this framework of the offense, which is going to be a run-first style of attack, and he's going to be just fine. So I think when you look at DJ Uwe Angalale at Clemson, somewhat similar circumstances. Sometimes when the weight of the world is on your shoulders, you can quickly lose your confidence and lose your edge. But a fresh start is exactly what's needed. We're hoping DJ gets that at Oregon State, but I think Graham Mertz has a real chance to get that, Sam, at Florida with a pretty good supporting cast of weapons around him. Yeah, and to your point, Greg, I understand, like, Florida, there being less pressure, run, force, run first. Wisconsin did also love to run the ball. But my issue is just the turnovers. That's the piece for me. Over the last two years, 21 interceptions, right? 25 over the last three. Over those last three seasons, there's never been a year with a higher than 60% completion percentage. And so whether you are in a run-first offense or a pass-heavy offense, at the quarterback position, as you know better than, than most, you have to not turn the ball over. And so those numbers are are pretty staggering. 10 interceptions last year, 11 the year before. Uh, that will hurt any team's chances of massive success. So that's my hesitation when I think about Graham Mertz in this offense or even offenses in years past. Yeah, that was one of the issues with Anthony Richardson, right? You know, not being uh, being a little bit more careless with the ball, which had him uh, struggle. By the way, congratulations. He's QB1 now for the Colts. They announced that. And uh, also for Mertz, they're going to be breaking in four new offensive linemen, so something to keep your eyes on for Billy Napier in his second season. So speaking of these coaches coming up in the second season of their college football, you know, new locations, you take a look. Um, that's a big challenge for Billy Napier. Some have already proved it, right? Sonny Dykes falls in that latter category after taking TCU to a national title game in his first season in Fort Worth. But go back and look at what Brian Kelly did just down the road uh, there in the SEC. So, Sam, which one of those coaches right now needs to take the biggest leap in 2023? Uh, I'll go with Marcus Freeman from the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Why Marcus Freeman? Obviously, Notre Dame got a chance to win some games last year, but it's the games that they lost last year, losing to Marshall early on. It's one of those inexcusable or better yet, inconceivable losses when you're a team like Notre Dame. Even losing to Stanford, taking Cal down to the wire. Games like that, you're wondering, man, are we over the hump or are we not? I understand teams like USC towards the end of the season, losing that one, you got a high trophy winner. I get it. But if you have another season where you lose games that you should win, then the, the questions will continue to pop up in people's minds saying, man, is this the right guy and is this the right team and why aren't we winning when we're supposed to win? Man, you, you're a tough critic, Sam. I mean, golly, the guy went 9-4. <laughs> I mean, had some good moments. Smoked yeah. Clemson. Like, had some good moments, but I'm good with it. Hey, we're never satisfied, right? We're never satisfied. I'm going to go with two programs that had really different, disappointing year ones under their head coaches. Brent Venables at Oklahoma. Things started to turn the corner, though, so I'm really optimistic about what they might do this year. They're already ranked in the top 25 by the AP, understandably so. I think they're one of those sleepers in the Big 12 that not enough people are talking about, but I'm going to focus more on Mario Cristobal at Miami because he's gone about it a certain way, not once but now twice. He said, hey, we can fix this roster by going out to the portal, getting the most talented players that we possibly can find in the portal, and they have, as a result, not focused as much attention 
on the high school recruiting and the developmental process and creating a culture within the University of Miami football program locker room. So I think that that's something that's really going to be interesting because when you have a bunch of guys that don't have collective buy-in, it's easy to jump off the ship when that ship is sinking. But if for whatever reason things are going maybe in the wrong direction early on, maybe lose to AM, maybe they come out of the gates a little slow that's in right. the ACC, which is certainly possible, will guys jump ship or will they hang in there? That's something that's going to be really interesting because I think this year could be a huge year for Mario Cristobal when he looks at how he wants to put his team together in the future. Yeah, we talk about that A&M Miami game almost feels in the same way, kind of like Texas and Alabama, like so much of the rest of the season and just college football as a whole kind of hinges for those early season matchups. All right, we got a lot more coming up on college football live, including the top 100 players in college football list is out, but only four quarterbacks. Who were the players that were vastly underrated? The guys tell us next on College Football Live. we take you to ESPN.com where they released its listing of the top 100 players in college football. No surprise, reigning Heisman winner Caleb Williams of the Trojans are there on top. Ohio State running back Archie Griffin, remember the first uh, two-time and only two-time Heisman winner. Maybe Caleb can join him. Only one other quarterback, Greg, in the top five. That's Drake May of North Carolina. When you looked at that 100-player uh, list, what stood out to you? Not enough quarterbacks, but that's a conversation for a different day. One number in particular, 44. That's where Jalen Daniels was ranked, the quarterback for Kansas. The last time we saw Jalen Daniels, he had one of the best performances we've ever seen in a bowl game ever against Arkansas in the Liberty Bowl. And we know that Arkansas had their fair share of struggles defensively all season long. But to think what he was able to accomplish, it was just ridiculous. And you look last year. If he doesn't miss time, now remember, he got banged up, he hurt his shoulder, had to miss a vast majority of the second half of the season, but when he was the starter, he had Kansas rolling early on. Game day was in town against TCU, he gets banged up, and Kansas never really recovered there in the regular season. So I think when you look at where he's at, if he were playing at a place like, say, Notre Dame at Ohio State, or if he were playing at a place that might get a little bit more national attention, I think that number 44 would be a whole heck of a lot better. Sam, on the flip side, listen, and I Greg, know, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. go ahead, Dad. I just wanted to ask you, like, outside of the quarterback situation, who's the guy that you would actually pay a ticket to watch? 
Well, so Greg went with number 44. I'm going to go with number four, and that's Harold Perkins, the fourth highest-ranked player on this list. Number So Harold Perkins, number one, was a freshman last year. He led LSU in sacks, seven and a half. Led LSU in tackles for loss, 13. Led LSU in quarterback hurries, 14. Led LSU in, 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 in forced fumbles with three. But what it was for me is he single-handedly won that Arkansas game. I mean, that game was like LSU, Arkansas to the wire, and all of a sudden Harold Perkins had three sacks in that game alone, two forced fumbles. And so you saw you talk about wanting to pay however much, $100, 203000 to go and watch somebody go play football. That's the guy you want to go watch. And that's probably why, Greg, there aren't as many quarterbacks on that list because it's people like Harold Perkins chasing them down. You look at that, too. Remember, that was a flu game that he had, right? It was like throwing up right before the game. And then Brian Kelly goes, hey, you remember that was the MJ flu game? And Harold Perkins like, who's MJ? Don't worry about it. All right. Uh, how about this? How about <laughs> Professor Payton? I don't know if you guys saw this, but came out earlier in the week. University of Tennessee announcing Monday that our own Peyton Manning going to be joining the faculty of the school's communication and information department. UT says he's going to teach a number of topics related to sports reporting, video production, performance, leadership, communications, public speaking, maybe even acting. Uh, GMAC, you spent some time with Professor Payton. You taking that class? I, if I could get in that class, something tells me that's going to be a difficult one to enroll in. I don't know what type of hall it's going to be in, but they better have 300 seats in there because everybody and their brother's taking that class. If I'm a football player, I'm taking it because I feel pretty good about the likelihood of me getting an A. Uh, just saying, you know, I mean, I, I want to I go learn from Peyton, and I want to get that A next to my name for sure. <laughs> Hey, they'll have that class in the stadium. That's what they'll do to have enough seats for everybody. And then they'll be obviously right. Rate my professor. He's getting A's. Hey, give me a marketing class with Deion Sanders, and I'm all in. I'm, I'm absolutely dialed into that. Greg McElroy, Sam Alcho, I'm Peter Burns. Thanks for watching us here on another edition of College Football Live.